Welcome back to another episode of People Analytics. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton. Today, I have with me Rocky Howard, who is the Chief People and Equity Officer at The Mom Project. Welcome, Rocky. It's great to have you here. Oh, it's great to be here, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I am very excited to dive in and get your perspectives on diversity, equity, and inclusion. But before we do that, can you tell our audience uh, who you are, what you do, and why you do it, why you're so passionate about your job? Well, absolutely. So as you said, my name is Rocky Howard. Um, I identify as she, her, Black, Christian, Gen X, wife and mom. Um, and that, that, that explanation, when I highlight some of the dimensions of, the, of my diversity, um, also answers the question about why I do what I do. Um, I have the privilege of being able to proudly say who I am and walk through the world that way. And I have fought for that privilege. But I will tell you, so many people don't feel like they have that privilege. Um, my friends over at Matheson did their 2021 diversity report, and it shows that 50% of people who are underrepresented in the workforce feel like their dimensions of diversity are disadvantaged in the job search process. Um, which just breaks my heart. And so I'm here to really interrupt that intersection between diversity and hiring so that people don't feel like that. Um, as a Black woman, as a Christian woman, as a woman who's over 50, um, as a wife uh, of a, to a Black man, as a mother to Black children, um, I am personally and deeply invested in making sure that my family can walk through the world and it not be a dis advantage for them to just be themselves. And so not only is this important to me in the corporate world, but it's it's very important to me personally. I, I look forward to a day and I hope I live to see a day where I'm not worried when my, my dreadlock hoodie wearing son goes outside and if he's going to come home or if my daughters who are part of the LGBTQ community are going to face a different type of bias or risk to their health because of how they choose to show up in the world. So this is important to me on multiple levels. And so to answer the what I do is I am the chief people and equity officer here at the mom project. And what that includes is actually creating a high performing and inclusive and equitable culture for the people who work at the mom project so they can go be in service of mom. I also own all of our diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging initiatives in internally and partner um, with Work Labs and our RISE program and our chief revenue officer and sales team to also help support our clients in their diversity initiatives as well. And you're also writing a book as well. I am writing a book. I have a podcast. I just don't have enough to do. Um, one of the things that's really funny, because I think the book comes back to one of my dimensions of diversity. Um, when I turned 40, um, I was the first of my friends to turn 40. And I was so excited while everybody else was like, oh, my God. I was just like, this is wonderful. I'm a grown A woman and I get to show up that way. Um, and so the book that we're currently writing is the Grown Woman Playbook. And it's five strategies for how grown women can live a joyful and impactful life. So uh, 
We'll let you know when it gets close to being done. Hopefully I can come back and, and share it with you and your audience. Well, I am two years from 40, so that sounds like a book that I will absolutely need. Um, So I am excited to learn more and read more about that. Um, So specifically, I want to talk to you about women in the workplace because the Mom Project, you know, supports mothers. It's, you know, a very important issue all across the workplace. So what are some challenges that you've noticed uh, women face and how are you working to you know, better them for women? For sure. I, I think the challenges that women face are a list that would take this whole podcast to list those, right? But in truth, I think when we boil it down to its most common denominator, women don't get credit for doing the most important job in the world. And I fundamentally do not understand this. Women are raising the future generations of our leaders, our employees, for the people who are going to run the world. And yet and still, we are penalized for being able to do that when it comes to coming into the workforce, right? So when you think about some of the challenges historically that women face, if they take a pause to raise children and they try to come back. Um, If they're in the workforce and they're having to navigate uh, not only working their core job, but working their most important job, um, they're penalized for that. There's a lot of politics that come along with where the deals are made, right? And so what I mean by that is there is a lot of things that happen outside of work hours, right? There's a lot of, if you're in sales, there's a lot of sales that are done. If you're even internally and moving into senior leadership, if you can't go for a beer with the boys, you're penalized. Well, you know what? I don't have time to go have a beer with the boys. I got to come home and take care of the one of the four children I have. And so um, there's a bias with that, that because I have children, I may not be as dedicated or as focused as other people are. Um, Women aren't given credit for transferable skills. Uh, There's just a whole list of things. We aren't given the flexibility that we need. And this year, I think we've seen women kind of push back and say enough is enough. Depending on what resource you 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 look at, somewhere between 2.3 and 5 million women have opted out of the workforce. And I believe um, there's a lot of conversation about the great resignation. I think it's the great recalibration. I think women are I'm not going to work on these terms. It is not worth it. And I've had enough. Yeah. I mean, thinking about daycare and those costs, basically, you just you have to work just to pay for daycare and that cancels out. And, you know, maternity leave, just the fact that it is not guaranteed in this country is mind boggling. And, you know, I have not been through pregnancy, but I know it is there is a recovery period that is necessary and people not recognizing that is wild to me. It is. And I, I, I proudly say I'm a wife and mother of four. So I've done it four times. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. And it is, there is a recovery time and there is a, and I think beyond the recovery time, there's a bonding time that you need with your child. Even if you choose to, you know, you you never add 
abdicate your job as mom. But even if you choose to to work outside of the home, I chose to work outside of the home. There is still important time that needs to be spent between, you know, mom and child and to have to make a choice whether you keep a roof over that child's head or whether you could spend a very minimum of time, 12 weeks bonding with that child is a horrible decision to have to make. And when you talk about childcare, um, I am really, really blessed uh, that my husband and I made a not what was at that point in time, a non-traditional decision. So my children are uh, go from the ages of 20 to 31. And by the time my fourth was born, because of what you talk about, I mean, at that time we had two and before and after school care, two and full time care. And, you know, like it was literally taking a whole salary to cover that expense, a whole salary. Like when you think about not just the payout of that, but the need to have a second automobile, the need to have the proper dress to go to a physical job. And oh my gosh, like you want to actually eat lunch every now and then? Like it was a whole salary. And so, um, you know, back in what would have been 2002, three, something like that, we made a decision that my husband would be a stay-at-home dad because we just found the struggle to be too much. But there's a lots of people who don't have the privilege of being able to make that decision. And it is, and, and without the privilege of having to make that decision or being able to make that decision and having to um, maybe be a single mom, maybe really need two incomes or all the iterations of that and not being able to make a choice. It's, it, it, it's disheartening. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of the work that you do with the mom project is focusing on how women can live a joyful life. Now, what does a joyful life look like to you? I think for for us, right, we really focus on um, making sure that we provide economic opportunity for women. Our goal is to to create a billion dollars of economic opportunity for women and to connect women with communities of like-minded people so that they have that kind of support. And joy certainly comes through that kind of support. And knowing that you're not out there by yourself, we, we help with a ton of resources from resume writing to coaching and development to all types of summits, etc. We connect women with opportunities that create flexibility for them. And guess what? When I can work in a way that works for my life, then I am actually a lot more joyful. I'm a lot more impactful um, because whatever your position on work-life balance is, there's a better work-life integration. And when you think about our RISE program, if you think about joy, RISE actually helps women and specifically women of color, who by the way are disproportionately impacted by this whole conundrum, really to upskill their skills so that they can change their economic status. And I tell you what, when I don't have to make a choice as to whether I pay the light bill (laughs) or the gas bill, there's a lot more joy. There's a lot more relief in my life. 
Mm -hmm. So before we get into your work in uh, DEI, I want to go back uh, to what you said about women of color facing different challenges. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, intersectionality because not all women are created equal. And in order to do the work, you have to recognize that. Um, so how do you recognize that in the work that you do? Yeah, so I think when you think about it, right, um, you have to recognize that the unemployment rates, the opportunities, et cetera, the statistics show that not only are women not treated the same way, women of color aren't treated the same way. And I'll share something with you that's just a um, analogy for, I think, of what's happening in the world. If you look at Fortune 500 CEOs, right, this is 2022. Only 7.9% of the Fortune 500 CEOs are women. It's going to pause there for a moment, right? There are more Fortune 500 CEOs, I believe, named either John or David than there are women CEOs. I'm certain. Right? So now let me take that to a next level. In 2022, we are celebrating the fact that there are two Black women who are Fortune 500 CEOs. In the history of the Fortune 500, there have only ever been three Black female Fortune 500 CEOs. And we're celebrating the fact in 2022 that we have two out of 500. Two. Yeah, that's, that's not a celebration at it all. Is, it is not a celebration at all. And it is amazing to me that we see that as a victory. I yeah. am very proud of the women who have accomplished that. And this is not meant to diminish their shine at all. But we should really, we live in a world where we should be questioning why in 2022, we're celebrating a number like two. So I think when you think about the work that we do at the mom project, it is really how do we look at a population of moms at, at, in general, right? So we advocate certainly for women and for moms. But then to your point, how do we, how can we better support the multiple dimensions of diversity of mom and how do we advocate for them? And that's how Rise was born. Amazing. And so talking about your role in diversity, equity and inclusion, can you talk about why it is completely necessary to have DE&I practices in business today? Yeah, I, I refuse, quite frankly, to do the business case for diversity. Right. I, I try to refuse to do this because if you don't understand all the McKinsey reports and all the reports that are out there that say this is why diversity is important, then we're just way behind the curve, right? Um, but it is important. Your business will be left behind if you don't do this. And so then let's think about it from a different perspective, right? If diversity is important to you and you have a genuine and authentic authentic desire to see diversity in your organization, then we not only need to look at, we need, in, in my opinion, we need to look at diversity in two ways. We need to look at it as a human imperative, and we need to look at it as a business imperative. And I'll help to, to um, explain what I mean by both of those, right? If you, if you give me some grace, Lindsay. So please <laughs> think about it from a business imperative. 
If you think about core and key business initiatives in your organization, let's think about most organizations have a sales target. This is a non-negotiable. We have to hit our sales target. And so everyone throughout the organization understands their role in hitting the sales target. There's goals, there's metrics, there's check-ins. It's tied to performance management. It's tied to compensation. It's tied to um, executive compensation. It's tied to bonuses. This is a business imperative with clear milestones along the way, clear measurements of success and rewards, and quite frankly, consequences if we don't meet it. But we don't treat our diversity initiatives like that. We treat our diversity initiatives as if they're kind of a corporate social responsibility and optional type of, 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 of initiative. And then we wonder why we can't get the traction that we need to move those initiatives forward. We don't have, we don't invest the resources that we need. Um, it's really interesting when I was at um, Smart Recruiters, we launched a st- state of diversity hiring report. And this was because we had launched a diversity hiring toolkit. There's an assessment at that point in time. I'm sure it's, it's, they've done much more since I've left. But at that point in time, we had assessed over 400 global companies, names that everyone would know. And one of the questions that we asked leaders is, do you have, like we asked talent acquisition leaders, do you have the num- the resources you need to be able to achieve the diversity objectives that 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 your organization has committed to and 61% of those leaders said no so how is that a business initiative it's not being supported from a business imperative right i can promise you that if i ask sales leaders if they had what they needed to hit their sales goals 61% of them would not say no so i think that's the first half of it then I think it's the human imperative piece. Going back to the survey that I mentioned earlier with Matheson, we keep saying that diversity is our number one priority, right? And I don't have all of the stats in front of me, so I'm going to take some of them from memory. But, you know, if you look at the Matheson report, it talks about, you know, um, how many, I think something like 60% of those people surveyed saw bias in our job postings. Um, 80% of them or something like that had no idea, weren't clear about our commitments to diversity. And something like 60% of people say that they had experienced bias in the hiring process. So not only are we not taking it as a business imperative, we're not taking it as a human imperative. And we're not thinking about the experience that candidates who have been historically underrepresented are experiencing as they go through our processes. Mm -hmm. And what's frustrating is we have the information, we have the data that proves this. I I think of a Slack survey uh, where 97% of Black knowledge workers prefer remote work because they don't have to deal with racism, microaggressions, And that proves how little companies are thinking about these initiatives. If 97% of knowledge workers who are Black are not wanting to come into an office, that that is appalling to me and shows so much the work that we have to do as companies and leaders. For sure. And and I think 
it's not intentional, but I do think we have to look at, um, because people come at things from their own experience and from their life experience. And it's one of the things that makes diversity initiatives complex because we have to challenge our privilege. We have to challenge our long-held values. We have to admit that bias and racism still exist in our companies and our communities. And all of this, we have to be willing to have those uncomfortable conversations. And it's really interesting because the same way you read that survey, I read another one that said like 90% of white men can't wait to get back into the office. Because their experience is very different, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think people come to look at things through their own lenses instead of looking at it through the lenses of others. Mm -hmm. So what are some ways that uh, leaders in the people space can be serious about DE&I initiatives and actually, you know, treat them like they treat their sales? I think the first thing is to understand you're not by yourself. If you're struggling with this, you're not the only one and it is okay. In that same survey that smart recruiters did that I mentioned earlier, we also assessed the hiring maturity of these 400 organizations on a scale of one through four. One being I'm just kind of getting started and four being I am a diversity talent ally. Right. I'm I'm firing on all cylinders. And what I would tell you is 70 percent of companies ranked in the one and two area. This is new to all of us to a certain extent. It shouldn't be. It's sad that it is. But no one has cracked the code. So the first thing I want to say is, like, remove the guilt. Like, don't feel bad. Don't get stuck in that stage. Let's move forward to moving past our good intentions and let's move to having some impact. And I think that's another thing that keeps us stuck is because we have good intentions, we stay in that good intentions mode as opposed to moving to actually having impact. I think number two is really taking the time to go, what does a successful diversity initiative look like for my organization? It's going to look different from mine than it is for yours or anyone else's, right? And so I think you've got to start with the end in mind and really start by just asking yourself, what does success look like in our organization? What dimensions of diversity do we want to focus on? What does success look like? And once you can really say, because you can't, this is not a magic wand. You can't solve it all, all at once. And I think all of us, we tend to get overwhelmed and go, oh my gosh, like we've got to fix all of it. No, start with where you are today and go, what does success look like at the end of the year? And once you've identified what that looks like, then you start to identify um, who are the key stakeholders who, who is accountable for making this happen? What's the benchmark today? Like here, here's the benchmark for where we are today. And this is the benchmark for where we're going to get to. You integrate those into performance goals. You integrate those into leaders plans. Like you have to do the work, but it's really about starting to say, what does success look like from, for my organization? Where am I today? And how do I continue to measure our progress against this success? So let's talk about, um, you know, looking at the long term. You know, obviously there are things you can do now to help streamline, to help, um, you know, implement uh, change immediately. But how should people look at the big picture long term? 
Well, again, I think big picture is what does success look like? What do we want to accomplish? What are we committed to? What are we willing to invest? Who are the right resources? Who's going to own it? And, you know, in the same way you look at success, once you identify what success looks like for your own organization, it should be like the rest of your business plans. In the same way you look at sales, in the same way you look at, you know, market penetration, in the same way you look at your other business strategies, where you tend to have short-term, long-term goals. You have a three to five-year plan. You have a six-month plan, a 12-month plan, an 18-month plan. Your diversity initiative shouldn't be any different. And I think the, the, the organizations who do it best don't think of diversity in this vacuum. They recognize that your diversity initiatives have to play across every other initiative in your organization. How does it fit into recruiting, which is the most natural place for it to go? But how is it integrated into your marketing initiatives? How is it integrated in your products? How is it integrated into your sales strategy? How is it integrated into your customer support strategy? You have to look at diversity across and through your organization. And that's just the representation piece. When I say diversity, diversity tends to, um, we think about that as the whole picture, but really like diversity really is about representation, but you cannot have diversity in a vacuum of equity, inclusion, and belonging. And so doing that work to really say, do I have a culture where all people feel like they belong? They have a seat at the table. They're welcome to speak. They're, they're valued. They're respected. They're comfortable. Um, what does that look like in my own organization? Are people being paid equitably? Are, do we have talent management strategies? A lot of times we're focused on recruiting diverse talent from the external, but we don't think about how do we develop the very diverse talent we have internally. So when I think about the longer term plays, these are some of the things that sit very heavily um, on my heart. And I like how you mentioned earlier in the conversation about authenticity, because if someone's in the workplace and they feel like they have to hide part of themselves or they can't be who they are, the work is going to suffer. People are joyful when they can be who they are. And I, I think a lot of leaders should recognize what they can achieve when you allow people to be who they are. Well, it's always very interesting because being someone in the HR tech space, right, you'll hear a lot of tech leaders say, bring your whole self to work. And um, first of all, I think that's not true. I don't think anybody wants all of us to bring our whole selves to work. <laughs> we're, we're messy. We're all messy. <laughs> that probably should stay in a virtual home. But <laughs> honestly, that ability to be able to show up and not um, have to deal with the emotional tax of having to... Um, to having to um, alter yourself to fit in someplace. There is an emotional tax that goes along with that. There's a lot of focus that goes into that. You're spending a lot of energy, et cetera, and you can't do your best work. And it's not helpful mentally for the person. We're not creating psychologically safe environments where people can feel their best and do their best. And then as a byproduct, produce their best. Yeah. And when you incorporate bias in that, I mean, there are health, actual physical and mental health repercussions 
of someone having to deal with bias on the regular. I mean, this is this is an actual health issue that, you know, you are attacking and trying to reform. For sure. For sure. I It's ironic. I was just doing an interview with someone else not too long ago. And he asked, you know, we, we were um, talking about questions and how to identify that questions are biased questions or how do you do that? And I love that he asked me, he was a white man, and he said to me, like, wow, that seems like a lot. Like in the moment when someone asks you one of these questions, you have to make a decision on how to respond and, you know, what your tone looks like and what you say and if you're going to respond and filter. And I was like, yes, and underrepresented people go through this multiple times all day, every day. And it does take a toll and it does have a implication on your mental health and your physical health. Yeah. So, you know, what can HR leaders and, you know, leaders in the people space do now to really, um, you know, look for resources, um, you know, learn more, educate themselves and be better? Well, do the work, make a commitment, do the work. I wasn't born with the answers I have today. And I certainly don't have like this many of the answers, right? Like whole world out there. And I think what you have to do is do the work. And I think you have to lead the way. But I think the most important thing you can do is ask your people what they need. We don't do that. Ask your people how you're doing. Ask your people what we need. Like at the Mom Project, we launched a talent and culture council. And so we have a diverse group of people that really are our live rod on, on here's what we're thinking, here's what we're doing. Like, And we use them as, as almost a focus group to say, yeah, we're thinking about this. How does that resonate? Does that actually work? Um, and listen to the responses and be willing to respond. Don't sit in an ivory tower and consternate that you have to come up with all of the answers. Let's ask people. I truly believe that we can change the world like one story, one conversation, one action at a time. But let's start with listening to the stories. Yeah. And one way that because I know that asking specifically women of color to help to explain things that is emotional work. Um, And so what I have learned is to use social media. And, you know, as a white woman trying to be better, I have sought out, you know, specifically women of color in spaces that I'm in, because what I can do is follow them and just see how they live their lives without barging in, asking all this emotional work. Um, You know, I think just following diverse people and just, you know, watching what they talk about, watching how they live their lives can be a big step. And, you know, I recommend that to, you know, fellow white leaders as well. It is very true. And I think it's a, it's a fine line, right? You can't assume because I'm a black woman um, that I want to talk about this or that I But please, on the other side, don't exclude me because you're fearful that I don't. I think, again, it's about respectfully asking or giving people opportunities and then respecting the answer without judgment. That's a big, big part because, 
you know, from that white perspective, we we're fragile. <laughs> we don't like being told things we don't like to hear. <laughs> so, so that is, it's yeah. It's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that is, is so, so important if before reacting, you know, take that information and digest it. Well, and, and I think the world could use just a little bit more positive intent. Let's assume positive intent. And even if it's not for you on both sides, if someone asks a question, assume positive intent. Mm-hmm. That's really lovely. Rocky, this has been just an amazing conversation. I appreciate your openness, your insight, and, you know, just everything that you have to offer uh, to our audience today. It has been so lovely talking to you. Uh, before we wrap things up, do you have anything that you would like to add that we you didn't think we get, got to in the conversation? And no, I think it's really about do the work and be committed to do the work all the time. This changes hourly, minute by minute, day by day, stay connected, make a personal commitment, figure out where your place is in it. I think so many of us struggle with the guilt of, well, I'm a white woman, or I don't understand this, et cetera, et cetera. None of us are going to get all the dimensions of diversity, but kind of think about what's important to you, where you think you can really add value develop your piece of it then and be authentic and be honest about where you are and what you're trying to accomplish. And you'd be amazed at what, how you can help, right? I just think that's important. And I think for me, it's never forgetting that people are involved. So one of the things we hadn't talked about is, you know, I have a podcast that's called The Voices of Diversity. And the reason I started that was so that People could hear from people of multiple dimensions of diversity what their experience is like working in the corporate world. So if you don't have someone that you can ask the questions to, there's resources out there that you can listen to other people's perspective, learn, and then take it back and figure out how you action it. Absolutely. So you mentioned the podcast as a a resource for people to learn more about you and what you do. Are there any other ways that can people follow you on social media? Absolutely. I'm most, I am most active on LinkedIn, Rocky with an I, Howard. You can find me there. Um, certainly, I would really encourage people to come check out the Mom Project. Um, and if you're looking to hire women, if you're looking to hire moms, you know, we would love to help you out with that. Um, if you're looking for a way to make a contribution, you know, our RISE program is always looking for um, sponsors to sponsor scholarships for the people. So there's lots of ways that, you know, hopefully we can give you to help and support. Rocky, thank you so much for this important conversation. I hope our listeners get a lot out of it. Again, I'm Lindsay, host of People Analytics. If you or anyone you know are like Rocky, we're making the workplace better for everyone, feel free to reach out to me, lindsay at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. 
If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.